my first trip to Honduras, which was, it's a medical mission trip. And um, I'm part of a bigger story. But I went down with the expectations that I'm from the United States. We're privileged. We have all these things. And we're going down to a third world situation. And we're going to provide care. And we're going to do for these people. You know, we're going to provide something that they don't have. I got there, and uh, my job initially was to help set up the anesthesia side of things. We, we were basically opening a brand new freestanding surgery center on an orphanage that would service not only the orphanage, but the surrounding community around, it's called Ranchero Santa Fe. And um, it was a dream of... Um, Dr. Peter Daly and his wife Lulu, that they they build this surgery center after having spent some time down there providing medical services out of the back of a semi-trailer that they actually had shipped down there. But they just discovered that there was more need than they could provide with that trailer. So I went down to help set up the anesthesia side of things. We only opened two ORs in 2009 of the three, because we didn't have all the materials that we needed, nor the personnel. But in that first trip, we went basically as a to set it up, and we ended up doing 15 surgeries. People that walked in heard we were coming, and there were some situations where to take care of them then prevented long-term consequences for them. And all the examples were Peter Daly is an orthopedic surgeon, so... We were basically, we just did orthopedic things, but the people down there want to be able to provide for their families, for one another. And Honduras is, um, their biggest problem is HIV and the drug cartels. So a lot of, a lot of the children that end up are, as orphans are a result of either their parents dying of HIV or being killed because of the cartels. In setting up, I met a local surgeon, Dr. Serna, who was from Honduras, and he introduced me to a young man who now is one of my godchildren. I have three down there. But in meeting this young man, I heard his story, and his story was that um, his parents had both, well, his father had left after he was born, and then his mother um, succumbed to HIV. So he had no family. He was living on the streets until his uncle took him in but couldn't provide for him and heard about um, the orphanage, Ranchero Santa Fe, and had him go there. And um, when I met Carlos, he was um, 12. So he'd been there for three or four years already. He was trying to decide what he was going to do for a living one of the things that, that they do at um, Ranchero Santa Fe is they live on the premise that these are all God's children. They need a safe environment. They need an education. And they need security. And if they have those things, then they can become the people God created them to be. And I could see that in Carlos. The battle that I saw going on, on with him is in the time that he had lived off the streets and with his uncle, he was being torn between 
becoming a gang member because that was that's the only family that he could really understand. They worked by making connections with kids living on the street saying, you belong to us. Mm -hmm. And so they had a sense of belonging, but the things he was lacking was education, love. Mm -hmm. And so he, he was still torn. You could tell even at the young age of 12 that he loved the orphanage. He loved the sense of community and the family that he had there. But he also still felt that there was this kind of longing to go back to where he knew he was a part of something. And he was at the point where he had to decide, was he thinking about going to high school, which was in, the, in Tegucigalpa. So he would leave the campus of the orphanage to go down to Tegucigalpa and kind of be open to the influence of the gangs once again or staying for two years at the orphanage, working in one of their shops where he could begin to learn a trade, but also spend more time learning a sense of community with the orphanage. Thankfully, he chose to stay at the orphanage. And in sharing his story with me, he, he expressed that he, he still didn't feel the same sense of family at the orphanage that he had when he was part of a gang, but he was beginning to see the merits of the orphanage. I think it was my third trip. I actually made him my first godchild. And by godchild, I mean it's a sponsor. I'm not the only person. There are other people that contribute annually to make sure that he gets some of the basic things that he needs. So what path is this young man on? <clears throat> he is studying to be an auto mechanic. And um, he's actually now done with his um, formal training and he's in an internship. We had a language barrier because he spoke fluent Spanish. I spoke nothing <laughs> except, but um, I can say that, you know, love transcends all language barriers. And we were able to communicate with one another through a friend of mine that was with me that was a little more fluent in Spanish. We had a couple of funny connections, but extreme value for me was when I went down, I thought we were bringing something to them. And coming home, I realized that I came home much with much more than I had gone with and a whole new understanding of maybe... God's intentions for me, and also that there were things going on in the world that I really wasn't aware of, particularly in Honduras, that um, were meaningful not only to me, but to others. At the same time <clears throat> that you felt a sense of extreme value, did you also feel a sense of humility? Oh, definitely. I mean, as I said, we did 13... or. Yeah, we did 13 surgeries that we hadn't intended to do. But um, those people, we, we did surgery on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then the Friday before we left, they came back for their, their post-op visits. And I can tell you that all 13 of them brought something to give to us. But what they brought more than anything else was how much different difference we had made in their lives and to be honest with you 
they made more of a difference in my life because not only of their gratitude, but they um, these are people that have virtually nothing, uh-huh. and, and but they do have a very very strong connect, connection to their God. It wasn't my gifts that were going down there. It was God using what he had gifted me with for a greater good. I've always believed very strongly in that God has gifted each of us uniquely, but not for our own purposes, but for a greater purpose. And, um, and throughout my career, I, I had... I had worked on uh, several Indian reservations doing anesthesia work because I felt I needed to give back. Originally, I thought I was going to be a, a Lutheran minister. Then I thought I was going to be a, a medical missionary. And, and I was, I mean, I was certain from the time I was a, a teenager that I was going to be a minister. And it was in college that... that um, I could feel this, that God was closing some doors and opening others to try and redirect redirect me. And, and I can honestly say that my reasons for being a minister were probably not as noble as they should have been. It was, I, I liked to be in front of people. I liked to talk. And one of the doors that closed was my wife, who I met in junior college at Concordia, Portland said, you know, you're not really a very good preacher. <laughs> and she said that in a said that in a loving way, but it it made me uh, realize that you know, this was more, it was more my mm-hmm. my putting yeah my self will than it was really what God intended for me. My parents were very gracious people. We. We took in um, vicars and, and other people that came through the church periodically. They would they would sponsor them. They would do things. So they they had a sense of giving, without without understanding any kind of reciprocal. That had a huge influence on me. I, when my father passed away, the church was full of people that I didn't really know, but that had a connection to my my father and my mother's generosity. Peter and Lulu Daly, Dr. Daly and his wife, their their calling, they felt, was to serve the people of Honduras. And they kind of had stumbled on that whole dream uh, through a trip that Lulu made to Mexico City after the earthquake. And she was taking down Christmas presents for children there. Their vision was that they would build where they would have a facility in Honduras that could provide surgical services and be manned by um, brigades from the United States, but an, ultimately would train Hondurans to be able to take over the day-to-day operations and make it not just a two- or three-month-out-of-the-year brigade thing, but that it would be 365 days a year. In year eight, so that would have been 2009, um, Peter and I were on a trip down there. We had just started, we had opened up other um, specialties other than just orthopedics. We were doing general surgery, GYN, urology, ophthalmology, ENT, 
and we had an ophthalmologist with us, and he was frustrated by the fact that he didn't have enough lenses for the number of people that had come in for cataract and expressed that. And at the same time, we had a group from the United States called Surgical Associates of America who had been involved, one of their surgeons had been involved with a previous brigade and went home and said, we got we to gotta build a place like this somewhere else in the Caribbean. And so they had come down to, to kind of see what, what this was all about and see how they could um, maybe copy or duplicate what was going on. Peter shared with them that right now his greatest frustration was they couldn't get enough lenses. And the gentleman from Surgical Associates of America said, well, we have a very close connection with Bausch & Lomb. We'll just give them a call and see if they can't help you out. And sure enough, he made a phone call, and before we left, he had guaranteed that 150 lenses would be there in, in a week so that we could promise 150 people from Honduras that they'd have their cataracts corrected. And on the flight home, um, I was sitting with Dr. Daly, and he uh, leaned over and he said, you know, the folks from Surgical Associates of America, you know, they wanted to kind of duplicate what we're doing. And I said, yeah. I said, so, you know, what did they think of all that? And he said, well, look at this. And he showed me a check, a multi-million dollar check. And they said, we don't want to duplicate you. We want to be a partner. And I said, this, um, after traveling with Peter and Lulu for over eight years, I knew that their ultimate dream was to have a freestanding clinic. I can say that it's open 365 days a year. It's manned by Hondurans. In fact, the medical director of the surgery center is a graduate of the orphanage who went through medical training and then went back, got his orthopedic residency with the help of Peter Daly, and now is back, and he married a young lady who's an ER physician, so she runs the external clinic. So they have not only the clinic that's open for the community, not that the orphanage has its own clinic, but they have this external clinic and they have a freestanding surgery center that's now operating almost every day of the week. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna share a, a surgical story. This okay. was a woman called the clinic and said, my father has a tumor below his eye, and we've been saving, uh, well, we've gone to Tegucigalpa, seen the specialists there, and they've told us that we need to have X number of dollars, and then we have to buy all our own supplies for his after-surgery care. Um, so we've been saving for the last two years to do that. And on our way to have his surgical procedure, we were robbed. My father was beaten and thrown in the river, presumed to drown. I was stabbed, and they took everything. They took our money. They took all our supplies. And she said, I, with the help of a, a person, I was able to get my father out of the river. He survived, but he needs somebody to look at this tumor and do something. Well, we had two general surgeons with us on that particular trip. So... Okay. The tumor was significant. It was below his eye. Um, 
Didn't know if it was malignant or if it was just a benign tumor, but it was obviously going to affect his vision and potentially his life. So the two general surgeons took a look at him. They did a biopsy, and you have to understand Honduran medicine is not United States medicine. You can't send it to a pathologist and in a day have the answer. So on that particular brigade, we did the biopsy, got the results back. It was malignant, but they, um, it was operable, but it was going to be a very tricky operation. And these two guys went back to the States, consulted with some plastic surgeon friends, some other people, but they couldn't get any of them to come down. We went down again. I, I went on that particular brigade because I had a special interest in what was going to happen. And um, they were able to do the surgery. They, they were calling back and forth to the United States continuously to make sure that not only did they get the entire tumor, which was not a problem for a general surgeon, but that they would not damage any of the nerves around the eye and that they could give him a scar that wouldn't affect his vision. Well, these guys were up all night reading books, calling, doing all kinds of stuff. In their residencies, they'd both done plastic surgery, but they weren't plastic surgeons. Mm -hmm. We performed the surgery. It was an eight-and-a-half-hour surgery. And I'm happy to tell you that um, the gentleman did fantastic. And after it was all said and done, it wasn't... Both of them commented that this isn't something that we did. This is something that a power greater than us. And one of them was Jewish and one of them was, he wasn't Catholic, but he had some religious background. But he, he wouldn't say the word God, but he, he did say this was, this was not our thing. This was a bigger thing than us. And there's actually her letter on the Internet. If you go to Honduras, Holy Family Surgery Center, Honduras, you'll get her story, but she said, you gave us our life back. On my first brigade down there, um, I was thinking, you know, I'm, a, I'm going down to set up anesthesia, you know, I'm a big shot, you know, they, they want, me to, want me to set up the anesthesia side of their department, but he said, what I learned in the, doing those 13 procedures was that the 24 of us that were there some of them were technicians. Eight of them were just spouses of the people that had come down. And they had no medical background. But without them, we couldn't have done what we did. Um, we had people that bagged up the trash. We had people that came in and mopped the floors between the procedures. Mm -hmm. We had people that did the laundry. Mm -hmm. we, um, we didn't have a sterilizer, a, a big sterilizer at that time. We had this mm -hmm. small thing that took hours. Mm -hmm. And two people that had no background at all in medicine, sterilization, or anything, learned it and did it. Mm -hmm. And the 24 of us became this uniquely um, knit group that functioned as one. Mm -hmm. and And that's... That was the humility for me. When I came home, I realized, mm -hmm. you know, we've all been given gifts. And when they're used singularly, yeah, you can do some things. But when they're used collectively, mm -hmm. God can do anything he wants. How, is, how are the two different? 
Casa and the uh, the clinic. The the orphanage is started with a, a medical purpose. Casas and and it's actually the orphanage is part of an international organization now that's that's um, it's connected to, but it's not owned by or operated by the Catholic Church. It's called NPH, which is Nuestros Pedros Humanos, and that's the trans the loose translation is um, Friends of the Children. The other organization that I've been privileged to be a part of was through my my son-in-law's family. It's out of a church in Eau Claire, Peace Lutheran Church, and it's called Casas Pro Cristo. And Casas Pro Cristo is an organization um, that's separate from the Lutheran Church, but it, it primarily operates in the Caribbean as well. It's Mexico, Ecuador, Peru, El Salvador, and Nicaragua. And I've had the privilege to go several times with them Casas Pro Cristo translated means building houses for Christ. And that's literally what we do. We go down and build residences for people in need that have been identified by their church. And Peace Lutheran Church has made that their ministry. They, they collect over and above their normal offerings money every year to put into Casas Pro Cristo. And... I've been to Juarez, Mexico, and then I've been to, um, to to Nicaragua to build homes. And I'm currently contemplating a trip back to Nicaragua to actually build a school that's been requested by the church. But they're not connected with each other. They're both separate organizations, and one is building, the other one is medical. And the building side of it for me came from when I was... A, a little bit younger, and had a little more energy. I um, I built several houses with youth groups in the Jimmy Carter program. So when you go on uh, to build a house, are you typically gone for a month? Or? No, we take a minimum of twenty five people, okay. and um, we usually are able to build two houses with the twenty five people in a week. Okay, they're not. They're basically. Uh, 25 by 25, and they they have two bedrooms, a living area, kitchen. But when you see what they were living in before that, and it's usually not just one generation, it's multi-generations living on their little plot okay. of ground. So th this is a godsend for them okay. to have a home. We pay a stipend that provides for the cost of some of the materials. Mm -hmm. We pay our own airfare. And then um, we pay part of the stipend is also for the meals that we prepare. You're working with people from all walks of life. They're not carpenters, but they've got some skills. And most of all, they, they all believe in the commitment that together we can do something greater than ourselves. And, you know, after a week of being together and doing something like this, it's, it's a sense of family or community, as you put it.